Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Um, who has ever, we're talking about awe today, starting right. I want to start 2019 right, back in awe of our good God. And so who's ever had a moment um, being somewhere where you're like, that was just a moment of awe. I mean, awe of the landscape or an awe of whatever it may be. Anyone? Few people. That's quite exciting today, isn't it? We've all got a bit of gusto. I like it. Um, in 2013, Claire and I went um, with her family t- to Austria for a white Christmas, and it was incredible. Her parents blessed us with, paid for accommodation for us all to stay in this one house, and and so we were there, and it was a white Christmas. There's snow everywhere, and um, the reason they went to Austria is because uh, Claire's family are mad skiers, and I'm not. Um, I, I can stand upright, um, but skiing is a different thing. And so we, uh, on the last day after I had, you know, had a few days to get my legs right and um, break them in, as they say, um, don't know if that's a lingo, um, Claire's dad turns to me and says, uh, come for a run with me. Last run of the day, um, we'll go up to this track that I've been going on. And so I said, yeah, great. That's, that sounds wonderful. And so um, after about 27 chairlifts and 14 gondolas, we arrive at the top of this mountain. And he tells me that it's fine. It's quite slow on the way down. Um, he's a liar. Um, and so we get to the top and... I'm a little bit nervous because of the trip up there. It took us about four and a half hours. And so um, my mum always said, don't exaggerate. So uh, three and a half hours. Um, and so we get to the top of this peak. And I remember like, as I've come off the chairlift, nailed the turn, I look out and it's, just, it's like this, actually. It's just mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak of white-capped, snow-covered beautiful scenery and I remember that moment was like wow like it was a sense of awe like this is so much bigger the world is so much bigger so much more beautiful than I could ever imagine and then I had to get down um and so Greg turns to me and he says um just want you to know that um just as we're going down you'll have to cross a road on your skis what? Who designed this? Um, There's no lights. It's not like green, red, orange. Um, Just go for it. And so we, um, I was like, cool, no worries. There's kids around. Surely it's not that hard. These kids are just out of the womb and they're on skis and within three seconds they're at the bottom. And so good, feeling confident. Anyway, I was that guy on the way down from this where who has ever been, who's been skiing before? And you have that one person where their skis are going without them. That was me. But in Austria, everyone's so polite, they just stick it in the snow for you to, re, like, to get on your way down. And so I had checkpoints the whole way down the mountain of times I had failed, and I had to pick up my ski and get them back on. That was my experience of skiing in Austria. Um, a moment of awe quickly turned into a moment of frustration and deep remedial massage needed <laughs> after that. Who feels like that's been your year? 2018 feels just like, yes, bring it on. And today you're sitting here going, I wish nothing but for it to fall into the pits of hell and never to be seen again. And so as I speak 
and preach this message, I, I know that I'm not naive to know that there's two types of people here today. Some that are on this end of the spectrum and it's been a horrible year. It's been one of the loneliest, toughest Christmases that you've been through and you're just sitting here just going, just get me through. So I get that. And then on this end, you've got the other people that we wish never to speak to at this time of year that are just having the best year of their life. It's been such a success. If we could just replicate 2018 into 2019, away we go. And so as I speak, just know that I'm thinking of both of you in this. I'm not naive to know that there's not one or the other. The question I want to um, ask you today is this. Is, have your circumstances crushed your sense of awe? Or have your circumstances actually obstructed your view of God which means you've lost awe in this moment. To know what awe is, I think we should chat about that. Um, awe, everything's awesome nowadays, right? Who's seen the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome? Yeah, everything, it, this word gets thrown around. and it's, it's meant to be something so much deeper than just being like, my sandwich was awesome, the band's awesome, you're awesome, I'm awesome. Woo-woo. Um, <laughs> That's all I got. Um, the original meaning of this word was, um, was something so much greater. Uh, one theologian says it's meant to be a potent ex- emotional experience. Potent emotional experience. A German theologian by the name of Rudolf Otto, uh, in his book, The Idea of Holy, develops the idea of this, and it says um, the idea of mysterium tremendum. So there's two aspects to awe that he says. And one aspect is a sensation of trembling, which comes from a perception of being in the presence of something uncanny, overpowering, and vibrantly alive. Isn't that cool when we think about God in that way? Vibrantly alive. And then the second part to it, which I think is also fitting, is that there is a mystery, which typically leads to a person, uh, a person to fascination, a general term used by Otto to refer more specifically to feelings of being astonished, thunderstruck, transfixed, or dumbfounded. For those that are new to church or just visiting today, this story of Moses, we, we pick up just in the middle of it. I wanted to catch the last part. So what's happened is Moses has led a bunch of slaves out of Egypt, the Israelites they're called. And they get to this point where their back is against the sea and there's desert in front of them and they're all up in arms. What are we going to do? And what happens next is God, uh, through um, Moses' hand, parts the sea. You might have heard about this growing up, but he parts the sea, the Israelites walk through and then the Egyptians are, um, are flooded and drowned by the sea as it comes back. And they're, they're out of slavery. And so there's... In uh, Exodus 14.31, in the message version I want to read it from, is, And Israel looked at the Egyptian dead, washed up on the shore of the sea, and realized the tremendous power that God had brought against the Egyptians. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted in God and his servant Moses. Maybe few awe is something different. Maybe it's the birth of a child or a grandchild or like me standing at the top of a mountain looking out over incredible scenery. I don't know what awe is for you in this moment, but my question to you is, 
like the Israelites in this moment, when was the last time you observed something and then immediately gave God the credit for it? When was that moment of awe ushered into your life where you immediately gave God the credit for? The next part to this is um, what makes you lose awe? Figured we should get a bit of a foundation on awe before we talk about if we've lost it, how do we regain it? What makes you lose awe? Earlier in the scripture, in Exodus 14, 10 to 12, it says, As Pharaoh approached, he's um, king of the Egyptians, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This moment comes just as their backs are against the water and they've got nowhere to go. And so they turn to Moses and say, What have you actually, like, you've you idiot, what have you done? Now we're back against this massive water, nowhere to go, we're going to get killed because you let us out. Why did we trust you? Um, the question is, what makes us lose all? I don't know about you, but um, just like the Israelites, whenever I lose my sense of all, it's because my circumstances eclipse God. My circumstances get in the view of God. They obstruct my view of who God is. They become the focus and God doesn't. Um, years ago, we sat with friends um, in their lounge room. At this stage, he was battling stage four cancer and we would go and talk about life and loss and hope and identity, all things. They're an incredible couple. And as we're chatting this one night, Rick, his name is, he turns to us um, and he says, is your faith in the healing or the healer? Isn't that profound? Is it in the healing or the healer? He went on to say that the peace he felt was because he trusted God implicitly, knew the character of God and was firm in saying that my God has the bigger picture. Claire and I left that. Um, their home that night forever changed. You see, what I realized is that faith um, doesn't always change your circumstances, but it changes the lens in which we see our circumstances. That's what faith is. It changes the lens in which we see or observe our circumstances. I realized that um, when I've lost awe, that sense of awe with God, um, that my conversation changes, my prayer changes. Put your hand up if you can relate to this. Um, we, uh, we shift our God to an out, uh, outcome-based God rather than just who he is, right? And so we say things like this. God, uh, if you're really real, then um, you'll do this. Anyone ever said that to God before? No one? Good. Just, you're a liars. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, Oh, what about uh, if, if you really loved me, then you would send someone to gift me a million dollars. It's my current battle, so if you've got a million dollars sitting around, that would go a long way into um, proving the existence of God in my life. Um, 
you laugh. Um, it's expensive in Sydney. If you really loved me, you would do something. We move our God to an outcome-based God. If you do this, then I will believe in you. If you show up, then I'll believe in you, rather than just God being who he is and the character that he is. Maybe our prayers don't do this, but maybe we reduce things down to human luck or coincidence. Ah, it's pretty handy that the sea parted just as we needed it to. <laughs> Shoot on through. Um, we, we reduce God down to coincidence or human luck. That's how we lose all. So the big one is how do we regain it? Um, uh, in 2015, there was this huge study done by a lot of universities in America. Um, psychologists and psychiatrists got together and were fascinated with this religious word or, or in general. And what, what was it that made spiritual um, uh, sp- believers um, in awe of God? And so they did this study. Um, they ran a, a bunch of tests and the, the outcome was a pretty incredible and so when thinking about how do we regain awe, this, this, is, uh, this came up in my studies, which I found great. Awe journals. So people were asked, a group of people were asked to write about um, something that made them happy, and another group were asked to write about something that um, they observed was put them in awe of something, so like standing on a mountaintop. So there's two groups of people. One that wrote about just something that made them happy, like foot-long sub at Subway, and something that was their awe, like the birth of their daughter, or something like that. Those that wrote about awe experiences felt less impatient than those that wrote about happiness. Isn't that cool? Less impatient. The next one, um, the next test they did, um, they got a group to gaze upon a grove of Tasmanian eucalyptus trees, like 200 feet tall, and just a beautiful. Um, just some good wood, you know? Um, just trying to be as Aussie as I can. Uh, and then the other, the other group was to observe a science building. Stitch up. And so the result was this. Those that gazed at the trees revealed greater ethical decision-making and lower sense of personal entitlement than those that gazed at the science building. Put your hand up if you think a generation needs to sit in front of the trees for a little while. A few hands went up, yeah. And then the last one is this. Uh, They got one group to watch, both five-minute clips, they got got one group to watch Planet Earth. Who loves David Attenborough? Planet Earth, there's a prequel, uh, number two, that's come out, which is incredible. I thought about playing it so I didn't have to preach for the extra five minutes, but um, decided against it. Um, so we've got planet Earth, which was consisting of grand sweeping shots of plains and mountains and space and canyons and the sea and ocean, like, ah, oh, incredible. And then the other one was um, also BBC's Walk on the Wild Side, just something fun and amusing. This is what they got. Those individuals who watched the planet Earth segment revealed greater belief that the universe is controlled by God or supernatural forces, as well as stronger belief in God more generally, compared with those watching the other video. Isn't that cool? The observation of something incredible like that 
actually increase someone's sense of belonging or knowing that there is a God. And so how do we regain awe? In Exodus 15, the last part we read here, we see after seeing what God had done that day, the Israelites stood together and sang, I will sing to you, to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Can you imagine a whole group of people standing on the shores after just seeing what God had done, singing this out to their God? This is who you are. This is who you are. So my challenge to us today when thinking about how to regain awe is back to my first question. When was the last time after the observation of something incredible that you gave God credit for it? Where you stopped and said, God, you are so good. This is what's happened. And for that reason, I, you are my salvation. You are my God. You are my healer. When was the last time we stood in awe of our God after observing the incredible things that he'd done? Um, when writing this message, I, I was struck by this question. <laughs> and I didn't know whether to share it, but I'm going to. Um, I felt like God was really prompting me to... S- when thinking about church today... This moment. Do you, do you leave church in awe of God or do you leave pleased with the service? Do you come to church with a checklist of things that need to happen for you to go, that was a good Sunday? Or do you come and hear the stories of the people next to you and say, our God is a good God. Our God is a healing God. Our God is a faithful God. That's why we do community. That's why we do church. This is irrelevant. It's not about the music. It's not about that. It's an element of it. But the question is, do you leave feeling in awe of God at what you have just witnessed, at what you had just heard about our good God? Or do you leave feeling pleased? Can I encourage us as a, as a church, this community, Crow's Nest, this city, Sydney, This country, Australia, is not going to get changed by us leaving pleased at a Sunday service. They're going to be changed by us leaving in awe of a good God. They're They're going to be changed by us being in awe of our God. So, I want to ask you one question, and I want to give you a moment to think about this. As we wrap up 2018... And on the eve of 2019, I want to ask you to write down, or think if you don't have paper or a phone or whatever. When looking at 2018, write down at least one thing that you're in awe to God for, for what he has done. Just one thing. What is it this year that God has done that you are in awe of? That you stand in this moment like the Israelites, on reflection, thanking God, immediately giving God credit for that. I'm going to give you a moment just of silence to think about that before we um, enter into communion. There'll be um, further opportunity in communion to carry that thought.
But the idea of it is this, is that when we focus on what God has done for us, it should immediately shift our eyes to him. Not just resting on what he had done, but who God is. You see, as the Israelites came out of that situation, their, their song was, you have done this, for this you are my salvation. It's personalized, you see. It's claiming ownership that God is my God. For you have done these things in my life. For that, you are my salvation. You are my God. You are my defender. And so um, this, in this moment, if you're a guest, we, uh, we do communion every week here at church, which means a moment to reflect on what God has done for us many, many years ago when he was crucified on the cross for us. And so it's a, it's a perfect fitting way to end 2018, no matter the year that you've had, to stop and go, God, no matter what's happened, I choose in this moment to give credit and to honor you and glorify you and worship and praise you in this moment for what you've done on the cross that day, that we may live now in freedom. And so... Um, We'll do that in one moment. Immediately after this, we're going to sing a song called 10,000 Reasons. It's a wonderful song. Some of the lyrics is, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. I worship his holy name. Can I encourage us in this moment? Let this be our prayer of 2018. And to start right 2019, that we sing with gusto of what God has done, that our heart would bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let us sing together as a family that this is what God has done in our life. This is what he continues to do in our life. 10,000 Reasons is a song of all these wonderful things, but can I encourage us in this moment to, to really reflect on what God has done and honor him in that moment? Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.